0: Covered Press, the totally free task and story management tool for journalists, is fast running out of its free spots. It's giving away 500 accounts to journalists who sign up at CoveredPress.com, where you can manage all your ideas, chat with editors, track payments, and more, with a lot more to come. Check it out and sign up for free at CoveredPress.com. And now, enjoy our latest episode.
1: They put me in charge of our accounting, and it sparked in me a real love for business. And I ended up, you know, pivoting before pivoting was a thing, and went on to business school and spent the last 20 years of my life as an entrepreneur.
0: This week's guest's childhood dream was to work in journalism, but she ended up spending 20 years as an entrepreneur instead. Now she's applying her business chops to a new endeavor in local news. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Lacey Starling is the president and CEO of Link Media, a new multimedia platform focused on delivering news, information, and entertainment to Northern Kentucky. And she's here to tell us all about it. Lacey, welcome to It's All Journalism.
1: Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, first of all, I hear that so you have a, a journalism background, but then you also, um, you know, started had a career where you started a logistics business. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Yes, so I like to refer to myself as a lapsed journalist. I studied newspaper journalism in college. All throughout um, high school and college, I was convinced that I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. And so I went to Ohio University for two years and then Kent State University for two years in both their journalism programs. two excellent journalism programs. And I, I always joke that I got the best of both worlds because I got to study with some really great professors both places. But midway through my senior year of college, I looked around at the markets and this was in 2000, 2001. And obviously it was seismic change happening in the journalism industry at that point. And I saw newsrooms being reduced and I I knew what my odds were of finding gainful employment long-term in newspapers. And so I met some other journalism students who had a really interesting idea to start building websites for bars and restaurants in Kent, Ohio, where I was in school. And this was in the dark ages before bars and restaurants had websites and I got involved with them first just as a copywriter to write copy for the websites, but then I started going on sales calls, and I I found out that I really loved it, and then they found out that I was the only person in the group who could balance my checkbook, so they put me in charge of our accounting, and it sparked in me a real love for business, and I ended up, you know, pivoting before pivoting was a thing, and went on to business school and spent the last 20 years of my life as an entrepreneur. So starting businesses, growing businesses. And yes, my, my most recent business that I just sold in September of 2021 was a logistics brokerage. So when companies needed freight move, they called us and we found trucks to move their freight. So this is really a homecoming for me coming back to journalism after 20 years in entrepreneurship which is very exciting.
0: Yeah, I think you made the right choice at the, <laughs> at the right moment. You know, there were it's so funny because it's not actually it's not funny at all because a lot of people lost their jobs in 2020 you know 2000 2001 I lost my job at a at a website a new it wasn't a news site but I was writing copy on the site and I kind of left that space thinking well in the interim somebody's going to figure out how to how to make journalism pay online I'll go back to print but there were a lot of people who did not unlike you either in school or just out of school or even you know people who had been longtime journalists didn't see what you were seeing then they didn't see it ten years later they didn't see it twenty years later sadly and a lot of people have lost their jobs and a lot of newspapers have have closed down so so. Going the entrepreneurial route is certainly not a bad decision for you, and uh, now that you're back, you know, now's the time to come back in and and help us who are still, you know, there's some people who haven't quite figured out the, you know, the financial end of uh, making this pay, but there are other people who are doing some really innovative work to pay for the journalism that they're doing. So how did you get involved with Link Media?
1: It was one of those wonderful moments when I think the universe just connects you to the right folks. So there is an organization here in Northern Kentucky that is focused on advancement of the region and its businesses, its nonprofits, and their president called me out of the blue and said, you know, Lacey, we're thinking about putting together this new initiative and your name came up. And It was at this inflection point in my career where I had already begun the process of selling my logistics business and I knew that I was headed for something else. I didn't know what that was. I had a consulting business. I thought maybe I could go that direction, but I've always made it a philosophy in my life to stay open to possibility. So when I got this call from Karen, the president of the 1NKY Alliance here in Northern Kentucky, I was open to the opportunity and the timing was just perfect. And they were looking for somebody who had, startup experience, which I have a lot of, they didn't know that I had a journalism degree on top of it. They just knew that I wrote a lot and I was a content creator and, you know, had an online presence. So it was, it was sort of a delightful surprise for them that I was also, you know, as I say, a lapsed journalist. So she called, she said, would you be interested in talking about this? And I said, yes, this feels like a homecoming, but it's also so necessary for our region. It's such an exciting initiative how could I pass it up? And, you know, we spent the last seven months really developing the business plan and getting it to the point where we were ready to make some acquisitions and launch. And it's been, it's been a whirlwind, but it's been very exciting.
0: Two things before I ask the question is this idea of lapsed journalist, journalist, especially a journalist who goes to journalism school. It's like the Marines. You're always a Marine. You're always a journalist. So get rid of the lapsed. It makes, I, know, I understand it makes a great story, but you're, you've always been a journalist. Just eventually you just haven't gotten to a place where you're actually going to get to uh, do what you were trained to do. But anyway, what was the state of the media in northern Kentucky?
1: Well, it's that story of so many markets in the United States right now where local news had really gone away. Northern Kentucky is a very interesting region because we're part of the greater Cincinnati metro. You know, we've got this unusual three-state coming together around the Ohio River with Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. And Northern Kentucky most people perceive of it as being part of the Cincinnati metro, but we're in a different state. So Cincinnati doesn't really want us. Kentucky doesn't really think of us as part of the state. We don't have a real identity here. And so Cincinnati has several news, television news stations, and they have the Cincinnati Enquirer. but northern Kentucky for about 15 years now has been without a regular daily paper. So the Scripps organization had an afternoon paper in Northern Kentucky called the Kentucky Post that shut down about 15 years ago. And once the Post shut down, really, we became a news desert. And the Inquirer has one reporter that they have assigned to Northern Kentucky. And we're talking about a metro that Just Northern Kentucky encompasses 400,000 people, 160,000 households, three counties, 36 cities, 17 school districts. So this is a, a vast region of Kentucky of people and complexity that had virtually no news coverage except for two small independent digital publications, one that focused in the city of Covington and one of the counties and another one that focused in a city called Fort Thomas. And everyone else was sort of out in the cold, nowhere to find your local news. And so people did what they do now. They were turning to neighborhood Facebook pages. Cities were controlling the messages coming out of, you know, municipal decision making on their Facebook pages or their websites. It's been very difficult to find out what's happening in Northern Kentucky for 15
0: years now. It's interesting. The situation you're describing, one would think that, you know, aside from the two digital sites, that someone would recognize that that was a, an area that was ripe before picking. Although, you know, as we all know, you know, running a, a sizable news organization to cover that area would probably be an expensive proposition. So how did this You know, this solution that you guys have launched in September, Blink Media, what's your approach? What's your mission here?
1: So our stated mission is to advance Northern Kentucky in the region, in the Commonwealth, and in the country. And this is, it's not to serve as a propaganda arm. I want to be really clear about that. We are an independent news organization. That's also clearly stated in our values. The advancement comes from giving a voice to the community. Northern Kentucky as a community has not had a voice so there's been no way for us to talk about the problems that we're seeing and the solutions that we have anywhere, no centralized place and that leads to several problems. Number one this highly fragmented perspective that we have of ourselves as a northern Kentucky resident You don't think of yourself as a resident of Northern Kentucky. You think of yourself as a resident of Covington or Florence or, you know, Alexandria, these municipalities that exist within the community. But, you know, giving that voice down to Frankfurt, to our state capital, we are what's considered a donor region. So for every dollar in taxes that Northern Kentucky residents pay, we only get 60 cents in services back on average. So we're paying a great deal in taxes. With 400,000 residents, we're the second largest metro in Kentucky, only behind Louisville. But we're not seeing the benefit for our tax dollars that we're sending down. And we're seeing issues because of that infrastructure, education, healthcare, right? All these things that you pay taxes to help with. And we also have some really innovative solutions to problems that we're exploring here, but nobody's talking about it. And so we're not getting the attention that we should be as a community. And so our goal as Link Media is to bring together all 400,000 plus people in Northern Kentucky to begin thinking as a community. And how is it that what affects me here in rural Boone County also affects people in the urban core of Covington? And how are we tying all this together? How are we, pun intended, linking our community together so that we can start solving problems and and making Northern Kentucky a better place to be.
0: That's interesting. I, I can sympathize with a lot of the issues that you and, and the residents of that area are experiencing. Because, you know, I, I live in Fairfax, Virginia, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. And, you know, a lot of people here look at themselves as, you know, residents of the metropolitan DC area. Yet, like what you described in in Kentucky, in your region, we send our money down to Richmond. And it's only been in recent years as as sort of the population shift has changed. And, you know, we've been able to exercise some some political pressure, I guess, on, on Richmond that sort of our our role in the state is is viewed very differently. However, you know, because we're a suburb, you know, our daily paper is the Washington Post, and the Washington Post, as great a paper as it is, as great a news site as it is, has never been particularly good about covering the suburbs, well, especially the Virginia suburbs, although, you know, there's some good reporters there, because that's not been their focus. So, yeah, I definitely see a need for, I sympathize with that, and I see a need for something like that. So what is what is the form of this? What is the news experience for the consumer there?
1: We are, as I think every news organization has to be these days, we're digital first. Uh, In order to compete in the marketplace, we have to be digital first. And so the way that we're formed is we acquired two small independent digital publications, the River City News and Fort Thomas Matters. And that acquisition gave us the platform and the audience that already existed for those publications. So for the time being they're still working and writing and we are preparing our new digital home which will launch in Q1 22. We are also going to do a print publication though and you know everyone who's been in the newspaper business for a while looks at me sort of with abject horror when I talk about print product. But we think it's really important as part of our commitment to the community that we provide information to everyone, regardless of their access to or comfort with technology. It's a really important piece of what we're doing. And so we're starting as a bi monthly print publication. So obviously, this won't be breaking news, but it will be a really great way for us to talk about bigger issues in a longer format than what most people see on a regular basis, and to tie together all the different pockets of our community by everyone receiving on the same day, this print publication that takes a deeper dive into issues. So we're going to have the print piece, we're going to have obviously our digital home, we're going to be doing audio and video, you know, in our digital space, because we believe that Everybody receives news differently. and We want to make sure that we're providing the news in the way that they receive it. And we're also going to be doing events. And these events are really going to be about discussing these bigger issues. So the issues of infrastructure, issues of transportation, healthcare, education, shared governance, you know, with 36 cities, are there ways that we can share resources here in Northern Kentucky to make ourselves more efficient and to get more bang for our tax dollar? And so just, you know, really digging into that, creating spaces where people can convene and discuss in a civil and rational way what's happening in our community.
0: And how are you going to be paying for all this?
1: (laughs) So we have a fantastic model. We have a fantastic model, and I'm really happy with the way this has evolved. When it started, we were just talking about private investment, but we have come up with a really great partnership that allows us to be a for-profit organization, but to have a community journalism fund. And we really look to the Seattle Times as sort of the bleeding edge of this type of partnership and what they've done over the last five years with their investigative journalism fund really informed how we did this. So As we're forming, we have a couple of different things. So obviously we have individual investors and these are folks in the community. And I wanna be really clear about this. One of the biggest problems that's happened in journalism over the last 20 years has been the consolidation and acquisition of local papers and even some larger papers. We're seeing it with the Baltimore Sun and the Chicago Tribune right now, where either large companies are buying up all the papers or private equity firms are coming in and purchasing papers and then asset stripping them right? They're trying to wring five or 10 years out of advertising revenue. And we wanted a model that did not expose us to that risk. So the individual investors who are supporting link media are folks who are doing this as a community good. So they're not looking for returns. They're not looking to get their money back or a 3x or a 5x private equity return. And so it's really interesting for me to go out to investors and say, hey, do you have, several thousand dollars that you don't care if you ever see again. And can I have that? So that's that's a fun part of this. The second piece of it is that Horizon Community Funds, which is a, a community foundation here in Northern Kentucky, is serving as a fiscal sponsor for us. And they are setting up I have set up a Northern Kentucky Community Journalism Fund that people can donate to and receive tax deductions for a charitable donation. And then that money is reserved for very specific uses within our organization. So we're only allowed to use that money for community reporting, education, government longer form articles we can't cover sports or entertainment with those dollars really has to be about informing and educating the community and so we write grants to cover salaries of reporters or to buy equipment for those reporters who are covering those particular issues and then the third form is obviously advertising sponsorships and subscriptions so we have this blended model that's allowing us to raise enough money to stand up this organization, and then to sustain it long term.
0: That's really interesting. And actually, it's, it's really smart, because you're taking advantage of several different models that have proved to be successful in other markets. You're not just relying on one thing, you're you're relying on several different things. You know, having some of that money, especially the grant money, the the donation money tied to community journalism around specific topics. I think that's excellent thing to do because you're, you know, as you said, the community was in in basically a news desert that, you know, that's the type of journalism that that's necessary and that people are probably going to be more willing to support. You know, you could see launching a website that's focused on high school sports and in this, this area, and then sort of trying to make that one focus, you know, profitable in some way or sustainable in some way. But this, because you've got all these different elements, you know, I think it's really smart the way you're doing it. Now, You're going to have a a bi-monthly newspaper focused on larger issues. And, you know, as you you said before, you're you're digital first in your focus. If I'm a subscriber, if I'm a, a person who's going to go to this site every day, what type of news am I going to be getting?
1: So we like to say that we are very traditional in our approach to the news that we're covering. We want to start with the very basics. What's happening at the city council and city commissioner meetings? What's happening at the school board meetings? You know, the the Washington Post has their, which I think is a super metal like uh, slogan, you know, democracy dies in darkness, right? It's very metal and I love it, but it's true. If you're not shining a light on what's happening In government, And when you talk about this, local government affects more people in their pocketbook and in their daily lives than anything that happens at a national level. And we forget that all the time because we've got national media organizations that are talking about stuff that's happening, you know, at the federal level regularly. But really what affects me as a resident of Northern Kentucky is what's happening in my city, my county, my school district. And no one's talking about that. In northern Kentucky. So things are happening that no one knows about. And either people start rumors about what's happening or nobody knows zoning, you know, variances are given and housing developments are popping up or, you know, school boards are making decisions and it's it's just wild to think of all the things that are happening, you know behind closed doors, really, because if there's no reporter in there that's going to tell people about it, how are you supposed to find out? Are you supposed to attend all those meetings yourself? No, I mean, people don't have time for that. So we're really starting at the most basic level. What are the most basic issues and meetings and conversations that we as a community need to hear about? And then it's building up from there. So it's the the pyramid of news, right? Foundational community reporting. And then let's add in education. Let's add in health care. Let's add in, you know, whatever else comes on top of that. And then, yes, sports. Absolutely. I mean, everyone cares about their sports. And so we're, we're exploring some very innovative partnerships with the local high schools to get the sports reporting that we need here and, you know, to draw people in for that. I mean, I grew up in a small town, a really small town and the publisher of the local newspaper was also the main reporter and the photographer right so this was he was a one-man band and he published a weekly paper and every monday morning he came to the high school and he took pictures of all the students who had you know won at the football games the cross-country meets the speech and debate tournaments he took pictures of the musical cast that was the fabric of our community everybody got the free press standard Everybody opened it up to see their kids or their grandkids or their brother or their sister who'd won an award. And then on the next page, there was information about town council meetings and the water district and all of this. And that's really what we're striving for here is to bring people in for the type of reporting that we used to get all the time from our local newspapers that just doesn't exist anymore.
0: Real bread and butter um, journalism. Absolutely. Absolutely. that people people want, you know. I was working for a a chain of weekly community newspapers. You know, my perspective was always people were much more interested in the stop sign going in at the end of the street than they were about, you know, whatever's going in the state house or whatever's going on in Washington D.C. You know, they may want to know about those things, but that's not the thing that's going to directly impact them or what's happening in their their child's school. So, have you hired new journalists? Are you are going to be hiring new journalists?
1: Yes, I am so excited about this. We are able to, right now we're in the process of hiring a managing editor and two general assignment reporters. So the staffs of the organizations that we acquired were all contributors, right? Freelancers, stringers, which is what they could do. And my perspective on this was, if we're going to compete in this market, if we're gonna serve this market well, we have to provide paid positions full time with benefits so that we can attract some of those folks who may have maybe graduating, but also may have left the field and want to come back. And we can't be competitive with (laughs) people will always make more money working in PR, right? It will always happen that way. But if we have folks who are passionate and we want to provide them with a good paying job with benefits, we can do that. And so we're starting off with a managing editor and two general assignment reporters who will be covering that bread and butter journalism. And then we'll add more as quickly as we can. So as revenues allow us to add more reporters, that's what we're going to do. And and this is where that part about the investors not getting their money back comes from, is the fact that we are going to be plowing all of our revenue back into hiring journalists and providing them with the tools that they need to do their work. I was speaking with the former editor of the Kentucky Post and he told me that at their peak when he was editing there they had 125 people in their newsroom. Now this included runners and and clerks and you know this was obviously pre-digital days, so there was more manual labor that was needed in a newsroom but you know I can't pretend that we'll get to that point but when you want to cover an area as large as Northern Kentucky and you want to do it well, it takes staffing. And that's where our investment is going is to getting as much staff on board as quickly as we can to cover what's happening here and to do it in a way that recognizes the moment that we're in. You know, the great resignation is a real thing and we have to be able to attract people who are passionate and retain them by providing them with, a good workplace, and a living salary and benefits. And so that's that's really our challenge as we're getting started is to do that, to prove that it can be done too, that it doesn't have to just be stringers and contributors, that you can afford to pay writers and editors to do their job. It's a challenge, but it's one that we definitely want to meet.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of soft issues around this. Having come out of COVID, A lot of newsrooms that still had a pretty good-sized staff, you know, I think people begin to realize the value of their jobs and the value of their lives, and, you know, practices that newsrooms used to have about overtime, et cetera, perceptions of those things have changed, and people want to have a better quality of life. And, you know, for a long time, journalists have been sort of like, that's been sort of a secondary consideration. I've never met somebody who's gone into journalism to make a big living, <laughs> uh, and actually, maybe it would be better if people went in, into it with that attitude—that they're going to try to make a big living and they figure out a way to sustain things. Yeah, I think I think we're at a time where where people are putting more value in a lot of the other considerations when it comes to work. I mean, journalists have never been particularly in it for the dollar; most of them, most of them are in there for the mission. And you you seem to have laid out a mission that would be certainly attractive. What would you say to other entrepreneurs who are out there who maybe live in a community like yours? You know, what would you say to them as to why maybe they should consider doing something like this?
1: This is the bigger part of what we're trying to do here too. So as an entrepreneur for two decades, I always want to think bigger than the challenge that's right in front of me. And scale and replicability, right? As an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you're always thinking, is this scalable? Is it replicable? Because that's where true success lies. If you can only create sort of magic in a bottle in one place, you're not really creating a business process. You're not really creating you know a sustainable business model and that's really what we're trying to do here the conversation for us has has never ended at northern kentucky we have to prove ourselves here first and as a northern kentucky resident and you know unapologetic northern kentucky fan i'm here for northern kentucky but the thought is how do we create something that works in other markets that are like ours so in fairfax virginia how do you take this model and plop it down and say, here are the resources that you need to identify. Here's your model for scale. Here's your model for sponsorships and advertising. Here's your subscription model. Because a lot of the conversations that I've had are, reporting the news is one thing. There are lots of organizations that are great at reporting the news. What they haven't figured out is a revenue model. So how do we do that? And that's really the greater initiative for me, sitting in the CEO seat is to say, How do I create something here that other communities, other entrepreneurs, other concerned nonprofit and for-profit organizations can bring to their own community, open the box and say, here we are. We have a link media for Fairfax or for another community that is roughly the same size and is experiencing the same type of news desert. Everything that we do, I have an eye toward that, of how can someone else take this blueprint and make it happen in their own community? Because that would mean the resurgence of local journalism across the United States. And that would be an amazing accomplishment.
0: Amen to that. One of the things that I said that I used to say a lot in the early days of the podcast was that journalists are really good at coming up with ways to be creative in covering the news taking advantage of social media and, you know, video and all these other different tools that were being developed to enhance their reporting, enhance the way that they're presenting the news. But the area that always seemed to be like there were no conversations or that there was no real innovations was the thing that was actually going to save it, which is, you know, identifying a, rev- a, a revenue stream that was going to sustain journalism. And, and I think we're, we're getting to that point With, you know, some of the things that you've talked about, but other places that are, you know, using grants that are coming up ways through, you know, sponsorships and and events, event planning, that different pieces put together in different ways are getting us there. We don't always get an opportunity on the podcast to talk to CEOs that often. We, We don't talk to as many entrepreneurs as we should. So, you know, I've been really appreciated hearing some of the things that you've said, because it kind of gives you hope you know, the tools are here. The thinking is here. There are enough business people who have been, you know, successful in the digital space and, you know, getting them to turn their attention to something so important as local journalism, you know, amen. Yes, let's get there. That's what I say.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think part of it too, is that engaging with entrepreneurs and startups is a really great way to do that. So, I think what happens sometimes is in communities, you have folks like the two organizations that we just acquired that are run by journalists. They're run by journalists, and they get the journalism part of it right, but they haven't had either the training or the experience in business to do that part of it. And also, you have to create that firewall for your own authenticity and your legitimacy as an independent source. I'm not making content decisions. I might have suggestions. I might say, hey, I heard this podcast and I really like it. We should do something like that. I have an editorial board and I have editorial staff and they're firewalled from the business side. And we're very specific about that. And for me, then it doesn't feel dirty for me to go out and drum up sponsorships. It's my job. I'm responsible for that. And no one's going to question because I'm not going to turn around and write a story about one of our sponsors. It's not my job. My job is to raise money and to run this business. And so I think having that partnership, the the decision that was made to call me those many months ago and get somebody with business experience in the top seat to allow the editorial folks to focus on editorial where somebody like myself who knows how to do a startup, who knows how to raise money and to build that, that coalition of financing that's really critical, I think, to the success, because if you're the one out there doing editorial content, you cannot also be the one selling investments or sponsorships or anything like that. You just can't because you lose your credibility.
0: And what's sad in, in many cases, although many journalism startups have been successful, a lot of it hinges on that thing, that it's one person or a or few people who are journalists who are suddenly teaching themselves to become businessmen or businesswomen to become you know entrepreneurs and drive their company you know then the old model that we used to have of uh, with the uh, you know church and state between the the business side of the business and the journalism side that line had been blurred but now what you're describing is is something going back to something that that we had before you know, I guess this is all part of the the evolution that we're dealing with, because for the longest time, one of the things, that, in my opinion, that was holding up, you know, journalism evolving to the next stage was this idea that we need to recreate the newsroom of the large print daily. And, and the only way people could somehow think that was through advertising. You know, we, we got it this way because that's the way it worked, but we can never really kind of recreate that. We can recreate aspects of it the separate church and state idea, the the focus of, of your journalism, but that's got to go away. And you've got to let that go and, and be willing to evolve into a, a state where you're you're in the digital space and that you're digital digitally native, whether that's something like what you're describing or, or some other type of digital startup. Anyway, Lacey, this has been a great conversation. I feel like I want to touch base with you maybe in a year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We'll be untouched. I think this is definitely something worth keeping an eye on. Maybe after a year you, you've figured out what works, what's been working, what hasn't worked, but let's do that. Let's talk again. And I wish you luck in your rollout that's coming out in a month or two. Thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I I do want to check in in a year because I I always say, you know, we write these business plans and then we look back at them a year later and we all have a good laugh where we thought we'd be and where we end up. And that's the fun of it is watching the evolution of your expectations and results.
0: Excellent. Well, it's a date then. Yes. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, and